When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Future Rich. I'm your host, Barbara Ginty, and also a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. And I am here today with one of my expert guests, Leslie Tain. She is a financial attorney with over 20 years' experience helping consumer and business owners with their debt management. Leslie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Barbara, for having me today. So to give our listeners um, definitely struggle with debt when it comes to especially student loans, but also some credit card as well. Um, and just to give the statistics, so over 44 million people have student loan debt. It's over $1.5 trillion. And interestingly, um, two-thirds of the student loan debt is held by women. Yes, we see a lot of people with student loan debt. And sometimes they don't even realize they're struggling with it. They just have it, and they're not sure what to do with it. So they put it into forbearance or a deferment, or they ignore it, and they don't realize that that really means that they're struggling with it. Absolutely. And student loan debt is one of the protected classes of debt, correct? It is in the sense that there's there's a couple of things to know about what that means in terms of a protected class of debt, which means that as a general rule, you can't file, uh, you can't discharge student loans in bankruptcy. There is a possibility of doing it, but because it's so slim and the requirements are pretty strict, we generally tell people that it's not something that can be discharged in bankruptcy. It also doesn't carry with it a statute of limitations for the collectability of the account. And what that means is a statute of limitations is a time frame in which an action can be brought uh, without it becoming basically stale or uncollectible. So what that means is in the, in the arena of student loans is that the creditor does not have to file a lawsuit or come after you within a four or five, six or seven year period. They really can do that indefinitely. Yeah, and we've had we've had some listeners on who said that, you know, they didn't realize they had a loan and then the collector, you know, the, lo- the student loan eventually finds them. We had one, I think one or two people that were ghosting their loans and that did not work out well. Yeah, I don't recommend ghosting your loans or your creditors. There are people who do that, and I understand that. You think that it's quiet and, oh, good, they're not bothering me. But that just means likely that the loan is in transition from one agency to another or from one division to another, and that just means that they're going to come after you. In terms of federal loans, ghosting would be a huge mistake because you might think up to two, three years you haven't heard from them, and then all of a sudden your tax refund is garnished, your wages are garnished, and they don't have to file a lawsuit to do that. So ghosting would not be my recommended strategy in trying to deal with your student loans at all. And I don't recommend that in general when it comes to debts. You know, I know that it's stressful. I know that it's difficult to face and manage. I was there once also many, many years ago, over 20 years ago when I graduated from law school. I had student loan debt too. So I remember the feeling of like, oh, I just have I have this debt and I'm useless from a credit perspective. And, um, you know, but ignoring it definitely is not going to help. 
understandably, you don't have the funds to pay it. And at the time, I didn't have the funds to pay it either. But there has to be communication between you and the creditor or seek out somebody like myself, who's really an expert in the area of student loans and can guide you on what you can expect during the process from the type of loans that you have. At least educate yourself so you're in the know. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's really complicated. So I wasn't even going to take a step back just so our listener knows. There's a big difference between private and federal loans. Totally. Huge difference between private and federal loans. And most people don't even realize what they have because they'll come and they'll say to me, I have, oh, I have a Sally Mae, I have an Aviant, I have a whatever it is loan. And they'll I'll say, yes, that's the servicer. It could be the loan provider, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's government or private. Usually it says uh, on, on documents that it's the Department of Education. That's a good indication that it's a federal loan. If you're unsure whether your loan is federal or private, call the call the creditor and ask them, is this a private loan? Is this a federal loan? If you can't read the information online, give them a call and find out. Really, you need to be in the know and understand you know, who owns your loan. And then once you own the loan, once you know who owns the loan, then the strategy changes. So from a federal loan to a private loan, the strategy for resolution completely changes because so, each of those – go ahead. And sorry. so that means that when you have Sally Mae, that doesn't necessarily mean it's private. That's correct. That doesn't mean that that's a private loan. Got it. So you really have to call your company and find out what – because most people have one or two payments that have multiple loans wrapped into that. Yes. Well, that's true. They may have consolidated also at some point. So, and the decision to consolidate also is impacted by what type of loan you have. So absolutely make the phone call to your creditor and say, I don't understand what kind of loan I have. Can you tell me if it's a private loan or is it a government loan? Okay. And then the benefit of a, I mean, with a federal loan, so I think there's probably pros and cons with that. One of the benefits would be they have the different repayment programs, but as you said, they can come after your tax return. Yeah, your tax refund money. Yep, they sure can. And they can garnish your wages all without a with a court order or without that. That's correct. Yep, without a court order, they do not have to file a lawsuit to do either. Well, now and they can take social security, which is another piece that people don't understand. That as you age, you know, social security is a generally exempt uh, item on the list where most creditors can't touch your social security. But if you have a delinquent federal student loan, they can take garnish your social security income. Wow. And so now that wouldn't happen. What if your parent co-signed your loan? Could that happen to the parent? Uh, it could happen to the parent, assuming it's a federal loan. If it's a private loan, then that's not. That's different. Uh, okay. So when it's a federal yeah. loan, it could they could garnish your tax refund, your wages, and also in the future, because it never goes away because of the statute of limitations, um, they could go after your Social Security. And they could do the same thing if your parent co-signed. Yes, it doesn't matter who the debtor is. It just matters whether it's a federal loan. Usually the federal loans, it's the student. The okay. parents are usually signing a either parent plus loan or a, um, a private loan. Okay. But as a general rule, um, if there's a federal if it's a federal loan, then they can go after the, the if there's co-signers, the co-signers, if there's a, um, an individual, they can go after one, not the other. You know, sometimes in co-signing situations, one person has money and the other doesn't. We mm -hmm. often find out when, when there's parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles who've signed off on loans for students that don't pay, they can absolutely go after whoever signed on that loan. Oh, my gosh. Now, with federal, can they put a lien on a home? So generally, they don't put a lien against a property on the federal student loans because they have a lot more um, easier uh, easier access. Leverage. Yeah, the, for them, it's easier access to the 
uh, tax refund money and to and that could be joint tax refund money to with somebody like your spouse who is not a debtor oh, not really? a co-signer so they can still take it yep oh wow and then how does it work with the private Private is a totally different ballgame in the sense that from a private student loan perspective, they offer you less uh, repayment options, but they will offer, but on the back end, there's more options if you uh, need to negotiate a settlement with them versus the federal loans where settlement is generally not going to be an option. Mm -hmm. On the private student loans, uh, delinquency and then ultimately some sort of settlement are more likely in those scenarios. So they would have to sue you, get a judgment against you, and then enforce the judgment against you. And that can include, uh, certainly depending on the state that you're in, a lien against real property, uh, a lien against uh, your bank account, uh, garnishment of wages, depending on your state's laws. Got it. Okay. So they can both really go after you with the private, it's just a little more work on their part to go after you. Yes. Yeah, there's definitely more work on their part for the private student loans, but we find that from a private student loan perspective, uh, the success rate in negotiating settlements is much, much higher. But keep in mind that, yes, you can have a great settlement offer, but you have to be able to pay that settlement offer. So, you know, it's all good and well, you know, that the settlement offer is there, but you, you have to have the funds to do it. Absolutely. Wow, that's really interesting. And then, so, do you have, what's the, I would say, like, the top five things you've people should know about their student loans? One, uh, again, about whether it's a private or, or public. Two, that you, if you ignore it, it will not go away. Uh, three, that it's non, basically non-dischargeable in bankruptcy. Four, that it will impact your credit. So it will keep your credit score down if you don't pay it and you continue to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Uh, and four, that you should not continue to add to your student loan debt uh, until you've started to pay down some. So even though you're in school and it's technically in deferment, you can make payments. So I'll give you an example. So my uh, children are all in college, and I had them take a federal student loan out. Uh, the federal student loan in uh, the first and second years is about 5,500, and the third and fourth year of undergraduate, it's about about 7,500. So I had my children take out the loan for the, for a couple of purposes. One, because it was available, and two, because I wanted it to help their credit. So we took the loan out in their name, and we started repayments. Repayments wow. are not required on federal student loans until after you graduate. But I want them to pay those, so we've been paying. I set them up to, to pay $100 a month, um, and because it's not a required payment, you can't do it automatically. You have to go in and physically make the payment every single month. But what that will do is reduce the balance. Yep. So when they graduate, they won't have as much debt. So we want to we suppress the amount of debt, the total amount of debt that they'll come out with, and also show on the credit report that the balance is going down and that they're making payments in order to benefit them from a credit perspective. So you can, so number five on my, my top five tips is that you can make payments to your student loans. And I think that generally you can find $100 a month to make the payment. It's $25 a week. So there's no reason why you can't find some sort of position that pays you money to make that payment during, while you're in school. So well, I that's understand. really interesting. My sister did the same thing. She, I said to her, you should be making payments and... She's like, oh, well, they said it's not due for six months after I graduate. Right. It's not due. But that doesn't mean you don't make the payments on it to benefit you. Right. Yeah, oh, of absolutely. course it's and not her, due, but interest is accumulating. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's really smart. And then what about for people who feel like they with their they graduated college and they have a full-time position? I see this a lot with people, but they feel like they can't make the payments. And there's for those that have federal loans, there's all the different types, right? So income-based repayment, um, income contingent. And I always go back and forth whether or not it's a good fit for people to do it because with certain of certain programs, it still could take 20 years to pay it off and then there could potentially be a tax bill at the end. Well, it's going to take you if you if you go to income based or income sensitive repayments yep. or reduced payments or deferments, it's yep. going to take you minimum 20 years and probably 30 years. It's designed like a mortgage. So if you calculate it with the interest, it's about a 30 year payoff. So just in time for your own children to go to college. Oh so if you right, so if you continue to defer or you make smaller payments, then obviously it's going to take you a longer time to pay it off. But that's understandable under when you're young and you're not making a lot of money. But that doesn't mean that you keep deferring it because you don't feel like paying it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's not going to be a discharge of that debt at some point in the future by the good graces of some of the loan companies and the federal government. So don't rely on that fact that you think there's going to be some sort of discharge. You, It's my recommendation, especially when you're young and you may not have a lot of obligations, that you try your very best to pay down your student loan so that when you get a little older, you can take on other financial obligations like a mortgage, or you can put money away into retirement or other investment vehicles, as opposed to using your money to pay down your student loan. So do the best you can, even though you're putting it in into income base. Now, I totally get the reality because I help people all the time. So I totally understand that there are just times where you have absolutely no money to pay the student loans. And I, to and I get that, and that's why those programs are there, and you have to utilize them. And when I first graduated from law school, I had the same thing because I didn't have a job immediately. So how was I going to pay $1,000 a month 20-something years ago when I wasn't even earning any money? So you, you can only take blood from a stone. But right. so given that fact, if you can't make the payment, you can't make the payment. Put it into deferment and deal with it later. I often tell young people, and when I define young people, that's people in their 20s, that it's understandable that you don't have any money. It's not expected of you to have money in your 20s. But if you plan correctly and accordingly, you can start chip away. You can chip away at it. Um, you could. I know. Listen, I know no one wants to live at home. I get it. But you can find creative ways to live for less and put more money towards paying the debt. And of course, you know, we're not going to cry over spilled milk with, I shouldn't have gone. I hear this too. I shouldn't have gone there. It was a mistake and it was so right. expensive. Yeah, you have but to take that. You can't go back and change that. the past. Right. If That's only going forward. If you're going to go into a graduate program, you should really learn from that or take a year off. I mean, I have a um, one of my kids uh, was talking about that and um, it's my stepson. And I said to him, maybe... Uh, maybe take a year off between um, college and graduate school and really focus on paying down as much as you can so that when you go to graduate school that you take on less debt or that it's not the volume of debt is not there because his choice in his first two years um, was to go to a very expensive school and then um, after spending enough time with me, he realized that that didn't make any sense, and he transferred to a state school, to an excellent state school, where he will minimize his uh, the financial impact of the, those decisions. But uh, going forward, taking a year off or two years off between school, even if you're not working in your ideal job, it's not your dream job, but it's an opportunity to pay down some of the debt, catch your breath. You know, it's like a recovery period. We do that when we work out. You got to recover. 
Yeah, so absolutely. take a year or two and recover a little bit, then go into your graduate program and then go into the graduate program with a lot less on your back and a lot less pressure to get a job when you graduate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what you brought up with the point of that it could take a lot longer than the government plans are telling you. I think not going into that blindly and just saying, okay, well, I'm just going to do the income-based repayment and everything's going to go away in 20 years or 25. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 wishful thinking. Um, and in reality, you know, over time, so for me, that happened because I was able to uh, build my career and, and create an opportunity for myself to pay off my student loans but if you, and that's ideally what the goal is. The goal is for you to build your career and get to a point financially where you can pay off your student loans and you're not making the payments for 20 to 30 years. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, ideally, that's probably what will happen. So let's be optimistic about it. You didn't put all that money and create, your education was an investment. The investment costs money. So there's a return on the investment by getting the job after school and then working at that job and putting the time in so that it can it can grow and your income can grow and then you can then there's your investment and you pay it off. So you have to look at it like that. If you look at it like I'm never paying this off or I'll just pay it for 20 years and I don't really care or I have better things to spend my money on and I don't, I'd rather travel and do other things, it's understandable. It's just not going to reach your goal to get rid of those student de loan debt. Yeah, I agree with you. I usually I mean, in certain situations, we've seen people that are going to always have a low-income paying job. It's a career choice, so sometimes I feel like it might make sense for them. But generally, as you said, you made an investment into your education to have a career that pays well. So with, with those folks, I agree. I think they should reevaluate that. I'm just going to do the income-based and have it discharged because that also can come with a tax consequence. Well, it's not going to be discharged. So understand that. that, that so let me clarify that. Okay. So income-based repayment is based on your income. If you get married and you file joint taxes, it's based on you and your spouse's income. Oh, so really? It's, it doesn't, yes, and it doesn't mean it's being, quote, discharged. Discharge means that the creditor is forgiving a portion of that loan. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that you've done income-based to lower the payments while you're not earning uh, enough money to pay what they want you to pay. And then as time goes on, you have to continue to send them your tax return. And if you file married filing jointly and your spouse earns substantial income, that number is going to go up. And But that doesn't mean that the government or the loan processor is going to discharge your, your loans after a period of time. The only time that your loan is going to be discharged, meaning less than what you pay, what less than what you owe, is in a settlement situation or in a program where your loans, and I'm saying it very slowly for a reason, in a program where your loans qualify for a discharge. And that usually is a 10, 15, or 20-year payment program with very specific requirements where your loan qualifies for it. It is not automatic by any stretch of the imagination. Got it. Because I hear a lot of time, well, I'm on an income-based repayment program, and it'll be forgiven in 20 years. I hear that all the time. It'll be paid off in 20 years, but forgiven <laughs> is not the right term. It'll okay. be paid off. <laughs> so that's really good. So for our listeners, if you are listening to this and wondering, it's worth double-checking on what type of program you're in and what the um, – qualifications are for that program and how exactly it works. So I think a lot of people, as you, we talked about when we first started chatting, is a lot of people kind of put their student loans in a closet and try and forget about it and and don't know all the details around it. That is going to be an ugly door when you open it. <laughs> You're going to have a bunch of moths flying out at you. Yeah, so I, I, don't, yeah I believe it. But yeah, I feel like I a lot of people don't realize that. Um, 
So you have to meet all the qualifications. Because I, I, I meet a lot of people that tell me they're on the income-based repayment program, and then they're just making those payments, which are small, because everything will be forgiven in 20 years. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. That's a misunderstanding of the loan. And I'm going to plug myself for a half a second. I am going sure. to encourage you for a small amount of money, which we have. We charge $495, depending on the situation, approximately $495 to learn about your loans. And it is well worth the investment to understand your loans and what you're doing. You can you cannot stay on income-based repayment forever unless you are on uh, on the low-income track forever. If you get married and, and they're going to want to see your tax returns um, periodically to review, and if they review that and you have more income, it won't stay where it is. Yep. Yeah, and, and, it won't and be I think your years. goal, as you said in your career, years. is hopefully that you continue to, to earn more money. And there's an exception for people that are doing, you know, on a low-income track because of a nonprofit or something like that. Yeah, depending on what their choices are. But you never know what life brings you, you know, in terms of your opportunities career-wise. And again, if you, so that brings up a good point. So let's talk about it if you are in college or you're in school right now and you're making decisions. If you're going to make the decision to choose a career where the income level is going to be relatively modest, where it's not going to be that high and you realize that, you know, maximum you're really going to earn is $60,000, $80,000 a year and you're going to have to rely on a second income at some point, um, if you choose to go to a school that costs you $70,000 a year, um, you are not going to pay off those loans. You're just not. And I understand the, because again, I have children in college, so I understand the appeal of different programs in schools and what feels right and doesn't feel right. And I don't like this place or that place or this program or the people who go there. I've heard every excuse you can imagine on why we're not choosing a particular school. But the bottom line is it's a financial investment. And while we want to have a good time at college, we want a particular outcome. And if your outcome realistically is going to be on the, you know, on the lower income side, you have to you have to have a reality check about how to pay back what you're borrowing to go to school and have a good time because right. you're and borrowing and money from somebody. Yep, and absolutely, and it's four years. You don't want to be paying it for the next thirty. Four years, and if you're lucky, four years, because right. these days, unless you jack up those credits and take credits during the summer or winter sessions, you're into the five-year program. You know, it's not so easy to get out in four years. Absolutely. So I, I really, I think this is really interesting. So I have another question for you, because I see this too, besides people not understanding whether they have uh, federal or private or just thinking that now knowing that you can't just discharge the debt just because you're in a program, you really need to understand the qualifications for the program. But I think I, I have always really pro, been a proponent of paying off your debt, coming up with a strategy for paying, paying it off as in hopes that your career continues to grow. But I always recommend using a principal payment. Yes, and, and that's true too. Even and it's a, you bring up a really good point. Even in the lower income, and let's say you're not paying a lot of money, you can chip away at that at that student loan. Maybe not as much as somebody who's earning twice or three times what you're earning, but you can chip away by making an extra payment towards principal. Principal is the total amount you owed that you owe at at any one current time, not the interest that's accumulating on it on a day to day basis. And when you do that, you can send a separate check in or a separate payment in and write for principal. And that by reducing the principal, you reduce the uh, um, the total amount of interest that you're paying. So I, it's an excellent, excellent strategy to pay it off. And they have to allow it because I was helping my sister with her her because she went to law school with her student loans. 
And the one company said that we weren't allowed to make a principal payment until she made her monthly payment. And the monthly payment was one payment, but it, it covered, I think, three or four loans. So we couldn't pay off one of the loans until that monthly payment was made. And then I've had other clients who've said they've called to make a principal payment and we're told they're not allowed to. So that so from that perspective, I would definitely take a look at the loan pay, paperwork. And not mm -hmm. everybody holds mm -hmm. on to the loan paperwork. You should be there shouldn't be any prepayment penalty. And so that is a that is technically a prepayment penalty and may be problematic. So um, if that's the case, you might be in a position to, um, if those are private student loans and graduate loans usually are, mm -hmm. um, you know, private student loans can dictate pretty well what they feel like taking or not taking. But you, you definitely want to review the paperwork to see if there's any prepayment penalties or anything like that. Good to know. Yeah. And then I always tell them they should make sure they document the principal payment because I think a lot of companies like the big, big names when you make the principal payment, if it's not specified, they treat it as an early payment. Yes. Yeah. You want to specify that that's going to principal. Yeah. Because I think we had somebody that was making print or thought they were making principal payments just by adding extra money. No. Yeah. Those are pretty. It's still going to chip away, but because interest accumulates, it's it's a daily interest rate. Uh, yeah. So similar to a credit card, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Similar to any loan. Any loan has a daily interest rate. Every single day, it costs money. Which is why we want that's you to pay that. That's why if you pay your credit cards off uh, in full the day you get the bill, uh, you will, there won't be any interest on it. Ah, okay. So That's Leslie, why sometimes you pay it off, you get another bill. So since you've been doing this, can you tell us like your best case situation that you worked with or like a, a worst case, what you've seen? Uh, the best cases are the um, settlement. So we took a hundred thousand dollar student loan and settled it for thirty five percent. And the other day we had one that was a hundred and I'm trying to think one hundred and thirteen thousand dollars, and they were willing to settle it at about um, around thirteen thousand dollars. So it was almost a hundred thousand dollars savings. Oh my god! Uh, and did but this person have to go through bankruptcy, or it was just a pure settlement? No, 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 no. These are just uh, pure settlements. Wow, no that's bankruptcy. incredible. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes there's lots of opportunities, but understand that only time that opportunity comes up is if you're delinquent on your private student loans. That means you're not making payments, so it's in collections. Okay, so and that would ding your credit. For sure, it will. Sure. Yeah, it, it it'll ding it because you're behind. Mm -hmm. But the, but once you resolve it and settle it, it, it'll it'll actually improve your credit score. Um, but there's a caveat on anything that you settle over $600, meaning there's a forgiveness of debt of over $600, you will receive something called the 1099-C forgiveness of debt from the IRS, and, and the state uh, has a separate um, tax form, and that means that it potentially has to be counted as income, uh, and then you're going to have to pay taxes on it. Uh, but again, when you calculate what the taxes are going to be, especially when you're younger in a lower tax bracket because you don't earn that much money, if you if you calculate what the taxes are, it's still a such a substantial savings that it's worth it. Got it. And but this is just private, right? Only on private student loans, yeah. Okay. But that's a great option to know that you could settle it and not have to declare bankruptcy. But as we talked about, that's not usually the case with student loans. You can't just be bankrupt. Yeah, it's you not an just, option anyway. Yeah. And I don't recommend telling your creditor that you're going to go file bankruptcy because that's just a waste of breath. <laughs> and then what about, so those are great savings. Have you seen a, wor a worst case scenario where someone let this get really out of control? 
Yeah, I, well, I have seen um, clients come to me who are in their 70s having their Social Security garnished. That's never a good thing. No. Uh, yeah, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's just nothing you can do about it. It's just going to continue. And so I have seen that. I've seen uh, on the federal loans a loss of documents where the loan servicer lost documents and, and refused to acknowledge payments made of, in the amount of about $25,000. So um, that was really uh, probably the most messed up scenario I've ever seen in a student loan situation. I have seen people who are have signed um, for student loans for um, grandchildren or relatives that disappear and say, F you, I'm not paying those loans, or for relative people that they don't even have anything to do with anymore, boyfriends of, or girlfriends of whomever or whatever, and those people disappear. They have no relationship with them. I had a guy come to me actually um, who has a, who had a co-signer, and even though we can resolve the account for him, he didn't want the co-signer to be impacted, but the co-signer would be impacted by whatever we did. So he was a little annoyed that I couldn't offer him any other options, but you know that I can't control the decision making on your end, you know, as far as whether you want that co-signer to be impacted or not. But note that whatever you do to those loans will impact your co-signer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people forget about that. The reason that you have a co-signer is because they didn't want to give you the loan by yourself. So that person is equally as important on that loan, if not more important. Well, what it does is it uh, makes you accountable to not just the loan servicer, but to, a, to another person. So most people don't want to screw over the co-signer. I have seen p situations where people don't care about their co-signer and they, they're just going to go ahead and do it. Uh, usually the co-signer is somebody in a better financial situation, so that person certainly doesn't want to be impacted financially by your decisions. Absolutely. Uh, but, and you can usually, yeah. can, if you, you can, there are ways to remove the co-signer, but you have to be proactive about that. Yeah, sometimes there are. And uh, I encourage you to, when you're taking loans and there's a co-signer, I would encourage you to find the loans where they allow the co-signer to be removed after successful certain number of successful payments are made. And I definitely, if you don't know whether that's an option in your student loan, I definitely would call the loan servicer and say, is there an option to remove the co-signer? I have made, been making payments for two, three, four, five years successfully every single month. Can we remove the co-signer? Yeah, because a lot of a lot of people have parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles that help them with get the loan, so they're co-signed. Totally, absolutely. This has been really insightful. I think the biggest thing that I take away from this, Leslie, is I hear so many people tell me that they're on the. I mean, I feel like I hear it at least once a month that I'm on the income-based repayment program, so it's going to be forgiven. So I'm not going to. I'm not worried yeah. about that part of my finance. Well, I love that. I love the confidence. So that's great. Yeah. Um, and that's wonderful, but I think there may be a slight misunderstanding about or maybe misusing the term forgiven. Uh, forgiven is a is like a term of art in the uh, in the IRS in the tax world. So um, it's a possibility that that person's just misusing the term from forgiven to paid off. Um, and please understand that just because you're an income base today doesn't mean that that income base is going to stay the same for five, 10, 15 years from now. Right. A lot can change in 20 years. It's a long time. Even 15. Totally. And don't think that just because you gave them an income at 22 years old that when you're 42 that they're still okay with you paying them 50 bucks a month. Yeah, because when I do, when we have people on and I, we go over and they're like, oh, well, I only have to do $100 on my loans. It always concerns me when I hear the balances. Well, you, it's tr you know, again, it's true. You only have 
to pay $100 a month. But that doesn't mean that's in your best interest. So again, it's sort of financial planning. What is your overall goal? What's your uh, what's the ability to, to achieve that goal? And what's realistic? And how do you want to get how quickly do you want to get there? So you know, I have clients in the debt business that want to get where they want quickly, but that but they but they don't want or they don't have the means to get to that place as quickly as they'd like to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the really interesting thing about debt is it's very easy to accumulate it. Totally. It happens really, really quickly. Like you can take out easily $200,000 to go to college in four years, but it could take 20 to 30 years to pay that off. Yes, It's a lot harder true. to get rid of your debt. It is. It's so very easy to get in it. And once you're in it, it's like quick, it's like, it's Quick like sand. cement. It's it's gonna right. It's just gonna be so stuck in it and gonna have a hard time walking through it. But it's easy to just kind of get to there. You know, we're having this conversation, but the reality is that anybody who has children who are in middle school or high school, or if you're listening to this and you're being proactive about your student loan situation, or you're um, you're trying to strategize how to pay for school, my recommendation is that you have a realistic conversation about money. And uh, even though the kids never want to talk about money, first of all, they don't understand it. And second of all, they don't want to really talk about it because they don't feel like it's their problem. It's something to really think about because the reality is that it's a decision that's going to be with you for a very long time. So also keep in mind that if you don't finish school, you're still obligated to pay the debt. So if you're a co-signer, if you pass away, and your parent is the co-signer, your parent still has to pay your debt off even though you passed away. So I've seen that too. So understand that that obligation doesn't die with you if you have a co-signer. If you pass away um, and you it's in solely in your name, then the debt dies with you. It doesn't, doesn't then attach to your heirs or your um, family members. But you know the obligation is still gonna be there. So think about it. Is this really the program that you want? And is also, it cost the, effective? The, re the reverse of that, because um, so if your parent co-signs and your parent dies, that can have ramifications. Just that you're still responsible 100% for the debt. If your parent passes away, that's the end of the debt. But the it still means that the co-signer, if you're the co-signer, you're still responsible for it. Yep, that's really interesting. We had a case where I believe it was a private loan. Because the co-signer died, the loan was due in full. Uh, that it became that they they called it in. Yep, they called it in. Even though the daughter had been making on time payments, they wanted it paid in full because the cosigner passed away. So that sounds like a private student loan. And again, you'd have to go, you'd have to refer back to the loan documents to see what the rights of the creditor are. And I'm telling you that it would be my recommendation to always hold on to your loan documents uh, because those, if if that isn't accurate and they call that loan in. Uh, you could turn around and either report them to the Department of Finance, Department of Banking, uh, and you may even have an actionable claim against them for doing such a thing. So I would, but you won't have anything if you don't keep the paperwork. Yeah, and I think that's something I always tell you know our listeners and my clients is it's so important that you keep your own documentation and don't rely on the counterparty. Totally, do not rely on the creditor to keep all of your paperwork. You have to be organized. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Well, Leslie, any other tips for our listeners? This has been really insightful. One thing that we really didn't talk a lot about is a Parent PLUS loan. Sure. Uh, Parent PLUS loans are really common loans uh, because the student cannot get loans in, in undergraduate because they don't have any income, they don't have any history. But So they usually they either need a co-signer 
or they or the parent takes out what's called the parent plus loan. I am not a fan of parent plus loans because they're very expensive and they're they will completely follow you forever. So my recommendation is on a parent plus loan that you shop the loan, you know what the fees are, you know what the interest rates are, you know what the the payoff uh your rights are to pay it off. Um, and I'm also a fan of, from a parent perspective, that that I would recommend a co-signing situation versus you taking the loan solely in your name so that there's some accountability on the part of your student and that you have a clear communication and agreement with the student as to who's paying this off, when and how. Because the other day I had clients come in and these poor people, uh, I really felt badly for them. They, they came in with their child, who's not a child, who's a young adult, and that young adult went to a very expensive school, and they took out the loans. They do not have the ability to pay back these loans, and that um, child is a very arrogant young person and um, is now working in a medical office part-time because uh, they're looking for a second career um, and that none of the loans are being paid, and neither of the parents who are nearing retirement have the ability to pay what these loans are required to be paid. Um, so there's definitely a, there were definitely a lot of issues with that family. So I could tell you that um, it's definitely something that you need to discuss with your student as to who's going to be responsible for the loan, how is it going to be paid, and you, as the parent, if you're in your 50s um, and you want to retire, and you're going to consider retirement income. Is that retirement in that retirement income is going to have to cover the cost of those loans? So keep that in mind. Yeah, that's great. And I and I agree with you. And if you don't have parents that are going to be helping you at the you know because everyone has different life situations, then it's really on you to run the numbers. Like as we've talked about, you have to be keep your own paperwork. You need to be accountable for this, and you need to understand the type of debt you're taking on. Totally, you do. You, you definitely need to be aware of it. And you have to be, and it's very hard when you're younger to be, to be thrust into a, a loan management situation where, because you've, you're coming right out of high school, you've never managed anything financially. So it's very hard to do that. But um, it just, if you just keep it in a file and, you know, just hold on to it. And then at some point you come to somebody like me who can sift through all the paperwork and kind of, you know, break it down to really easy, understandable language and give you a clear-cut plan, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And so for our listeners, we're going to link all of the information in our Instagram and on our website so that you can easily find Leslie. So if you feel like you are overwhelmed with your debt and you need some help, I would highly recommend you reach out to her and get it squared away because as a financial planner, Every aspect of your financial life is important, and especially taking care of your debt is important so that you can get to where you want to go in your financial future. Um, and for our other listeners who would like to check out our classes, you can find them at www.planancial.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.